It's time for the So She Did Podcast, where we discuss how you can live a life that sets your soul on fire. By focusing on your passions, finding and staying intensely motivated, dealing with the pressures and responsibility of everyday life, and realizing your full potential so that you can achieve excellence both professionally and personally. Directly from the So She Did studio in Denver, Colorado, please welcome your hostess, leadership expert, life coach, corporate sales leader, and author, Kristen Esparza. Hey guys, this is Kristen Esparza. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of the So She Did podcast. Today I am joined by Gwen Austin. She is an inventor and an entrepreneur, and I am very, very excited to have her on the show today. We are going to talk about um, a lot of different things, starting with kind of where it is in childhood that some of our behaviors originate from, what we can do to overcome the fear and failure, the things that we learn as we grow older, how we can unlearn those fears, and how we can learn to go with our gut and what exactly that means. So Gwen, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm super excited to talk to you. All right. Well, before we get started, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey? Wow, that that alone could be an entire podcast, but we'll, <laughs> I we'll, bet. Narrow, it, we'll <laughs> narrow it down. Um, yeah, I... I discovered in my early 20s that um, I wanted to be in the toy world and in the kids marketplace. And once I came to that realization, I, it, you know, and we'll talk about this later about going with your gut, that there, there was no turning back for me. I just knew that that was, that was my purpose here. Um, and unfortunately, during that time, during my 20s, I didn't have a very supportive system mm-hmm. um, in place in my personal life. My my parents were super, um, super supportive of me, but my home life, my personal home life and relationship was, was not in that place. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got that ultimatum of, you can pick two of these three. You can be a mom, you can be a wife, or you can be a business owner you only agreed on being a mom and a wife. So, and that was that moment of, you know, very clarity of, okay, um, no, I'll pick mom and I'll pick business owner. Ah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it was time to make a change because that's not a healthy, that that's not how anybody should live their life. I agree. And I'm sure there are people listening right now that can totally, um, totally, uh, get on, you know, understand that feeling. Like, yeah, I think that we, a lot of listeners can understand that. And I've actually, there's one saying that I hear people say all the time that I wholeheartedly disagree with. There's a saying that says, um, you can't, you can have everything, but you can't have it all at once. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that because I say, why can't I have it all at once? My philosophy is I am perfectly capable of being a mother, of being a businesswoman, of being a writer, of doing these things, if that's what I am so inclined to do. And, um, you know, it's funny that you you mentioned that the other day. I was talking to somebody at my office and um, they said something about, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to finish my education. And I said, why not? Well, because I work full time. And in my own story, I worked full-time, have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a doctoral level education, and have three children. I was married, like you. I am not married anymore, but that was my choice. 
and um, I have a fantastic career and I do this. So, you know, I think that idea that we can only do certain things certainly limits us. So you, you ended that, you decided I wanna be a mom and I wanna be an inventor and a businesswoman. What did you do next? Yes, um, so at that point, as I was leaving that first marriage, I had started um, developing a toy. Mm-hmm. So I developed a toy, radio controlled art, and that was radio controlled art. So it's um, putting together radio controlled toys with art, snap a drawing, implement into it, and with the remote, kids can create art on a drawing surface. Oh, wow. And at that time, I think, I know, I I was trying to figure out how can I stay at home with my girls Mm -hmm. and support us before I get completely out of here, right? I was was really looking at the long-term game plan. Yeah. And um, the beginning of that whole process was pretty magical. And, and, you know, you talk about going with your, your gut. I just started really feeling pulled and went in all the directions that I felt pulled and whether they made any sense or not. Mm-hmm. And I applied to be on Oprah's next big idea. And yeah. everyone around me was like, are you crazy? Do you know how many people are going to be there? Even my now ex-husband, this is a waste of time, waste of money. Who's going to take care of the kids, right? No support anywhere ex- except awful. for my parents at the time. Yeah. yeah. And I was chosen. I was one out of seven people of one out of Seven seven people were chosen out of six thousand for that show, and I was one of those people. Wow! Um, which was a which was a great and and humbling experience at the same time. There were a lot of ins and outs that go around with that emotionally, mm-hmm. but it but it was very clear when you don't have someone supporting you, and this is a huge moment. There yeah. was a competition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I really worked hard on on that toy and getting to that to be a place. Then, you know, obviously left that marriage and, and ran that company. I manufactured that toy myself, um, sold it, did kind of the whole thing and lost. Yeah, I, I am a person who gets very easily, oh, what's the next shiny idea? Right? Yeah, like very yeah. interested. I'm, I love to create. I love the next thing. So I did that for a long time, but my real love was getting into children's educational programming is where I wanted to be. Yeah. And the young ones. So I, again, branched out and, and started developing, developing a kid's uh, preschool program mm-hmm. and talked to a lot of people, got a lot of interest. Nobody was biting. So I decided to figure out how to do that on my own. Yeah. And um, we have a couple episodes out and now looking for partners for that. So that's my journey in a nutshell. How exciting. One of the things you said a few times was that during this process, you didn't have support other than your parents. During that time, what did you tell yourself? Because for you to have continued pushing forward in spite of the fact that your then spouse who should be ideally your biggest supporter and cheerleader and in spite of that negative influence what were the things that you told yourself that enabled you to continue to move forward well that's interesting and usually i don't really like to talk about that period of my life because it's over and i now have an amazingly supportive spouse yeah my husband is is wonderful um but i'm bringing it up because i do believe that it resonates with a lot of people i think so too. and Mm um i I think what drove me was definitely that feeling of, I'm going to prove you wrong. Ah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, I know we kind of talked about 
what, 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 how do you approach that when the world is kind of taking you down? What do you do? And you can do one of two things. You can either prove them right and not go forward. Yeah. And, and, and say, yeah, you know what? I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Or you can prove them wrong. And so that was really my drive was it, it, it brought light to the idea of, no, this is something I love. And it almost, and I, it sounds like it became a challenge for you. Like you think it, I can't watch this, yeah. watch this. Right. Yeah. It definitely became a challenge. Like, don't, don't tell me what I can, can and cannot do. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done with that. Yeah. Right. So it's really about honoring yourself and learning. I had, I took a long road of, of learning about self-love. Yeah. And I, and I think when you start loving yourself the same way you do the important people in your life, you, you do those things, you take those risks, you face those fears um, all of the things, right? So this is, all of it I think is interconnected, whether it's your fears, your gut, your, you know, the people telling you you can't do it right. If you really truly um, are, are inspired to be doing something in your life, you can make it happen. And you can't, you have to shut down all those voices. And, and I, those I, people are just... I think that, you know, what you said is really powerful about self-love because... Very often when we don't have self-love and we don't have confidence and we don't have belief in ourselves, then we do believe those external voices. And I've noticed in my own progression, just as a human being, the more I learn to love myself, the less I tolerate those negative beliefs coming into me. Um, and I've actually just this, this, this most recent week had a a pretty big epiphany with it. Um, it wasn't in the business environment. It was more in a personal environment um, where, you know, I realized with this person that I've been kind of in a relationship with off and on that this is not healthy. And I, I put up with that because maybe that's where I was at the time, but now I'm in a better place and I love myself and I deserve to be with somebody um, in a friendship or a relationship or in a work environment who respects and values me too. And so I think that as we evolve in our own self-love, we start hearing those negative voices and identifying for what they are rather than accepting them as truth, which sometimes happens. Um, exactly. We, we do enough damage to ourselves. We don't need the people around us. And I was just telling I love a young that. girl. What, yeah, that's a profound thought. Right? Yeah. And I was just, there was a young girl crying at the bar because some boy was had criticized her. Yeah. She's a beautiful young girl. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've learned in life. People who are happy will never, ever criticize another person. Yes. They, they will surround you. They will cheer you on. They will help you. They will, you know, they will never tell you, you can't do that. It, those are their own fears. Those That's coming from people who are not living in a happy place, right. who are not satisfied with themselves. So why would we listen to the people who... <laughs> who can't even make group. themselves happy. Who can't right. even make themselves happy, right? And are projecting that onto us. Yes. So one of the things that fascinates me about your work is your focus on the development and the psychology of children. And you and I, when we first talked, we talked about that you like to help children have confidence so they don't develop fear and failure. So talk to the listeners a little bit about the origins of our fear and failure, how it relates to childhood and how we start to internalize that as we grow. I, yes, I, this is one of those topics that I love and, and loathe at the same time because yeah. it's it's human nature. You know, mm-hmm. I certainly um, don't always take my own advice. 
But I, you look at a child and they will, they, they learn how to walk, they fall over and over and over again, right? Yeah. It doesn't even occur to them like, oh, you know what? I tried three times, I'm done. I'm not walking. Yeah. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah, they just keep getting up. <laughs> they just keep getting up until they do it. And that's, that is what we are wired. That is at the core of what we can be. Yes. I truly believe that. Yes. And then you see shifts start happening and it certainly happens around first and second grade, I've noticed. Yeah. Where you're becoming more aware of the people who are around you mm -hmm. and their opinions. And it's shocking that it happens that early. And for some kids, I, I witnessed it happening even younger than that. Mm -hmm. And I will say that is, those kids, it was 100% based in their home lives. Interesting. It was what they were seeing and they were projecting and mimicking their parents. Interesting. So, you know, I always say if your kids are acting inappropriately or if your kids are behaving in a temper tantrum or whatever, however they're reacting, take a look at yourself first. Yeah. And what are you doing as a parent? Because they learned it from somewhere. Right. They didn't just show up with, you know, and yes, we all have our own personality. Certainly I have two different girls with two very different personalities. Yeah. But I think that, you know, they start learning, kids start learning their, their restraints because parents will either compare one child to another. Mm -hmm. Well, Johnny can do it, but Susie cannot. And yeah. so now Susie believes she can't do it because whether or not you realize it, they are listening. So I've been guilty of that as a parent. I have three children. My oldest is a freshman in college and I've always kind of referred to him as the golden boy. He was on the homecoming court. He was great at sports. He was great academically. Um, he meets people and friends everywhere he goes. He's just one of those dynamic people. And recently my 13 year old daughter went to a basketball tryout and she didn't do well. And I asked her if she had practiced ahead of time. And she said, no. And I said, well, you know, your brother made the teams because he practiced and he did this. And the first thing she said to me was, I'm not him. I'm not him, mom. I'm somebody else. And so it's, it's a challenge, I think, especially for those of us parents who have more than one child, because I am learning what I did to parent one child may not be effective for the other one. And then my youngest one, I joke, I call him my little Virgo baby because he's emotional. He's seven and he will ask me, no joke, 25 times a day, mommy, do you love me? Mommy, do you love me? And I always have to tell him, I love you more than anything in the world. How much is that? How big is that? But my now 18 year old son would have never asked me that. It, they're just such different personalities. And I do have to remember um, to parent them differently because, you know, my 18 year old, he was never affectionate. He wasn't one that walked around holding my hand and wouldn't sit next to me on the couch. And I'm not naturally affectionate either. I mean, I would hug him and kiss him and those kinds of things. But when I'm watching TV or sitting on the couch, I wouldn't have him right next to me. My daughter, on the other hand, needs that. And I have had to adjust my parenting and know if she's sitting there, she wants me to go sit next to her and hold her hand and, you know, play with her hair or whatever because she needs that. And so I, it helps me also have, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, some love for myself and realizing, hey, if I have needs that are different than other people's, that's okay. 
that's what makes me unique and that's what makes me who I am. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. And it's it's very, what you just said is, is spot on the idea of we are a parent, but we are a different parent to all three, all two, however many children you have. Yeah. There's not, you might as well throw out the rule book after the first one's born because the second one is going to have a whole new set of rules. I'm learning that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's okay because they're a different, they are, they're a different person. Yeah. And how that second person gets motivated, you know, how your second child gets motivated versus the first child gets motivated. They're going to be completely different. They are. And what drives them, what, what um, makes them feel accomplished right? You can get a be as one child and feel over the moon. Yes. So as a parent, just be over the moon because your child worked so hard where the other one, they got to be, that means they were slacking off. Yes. That's, right. That's exactly, that mean, you're describing my children right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't mean that the A student is any better than the B student. Yes. And, and I've had talked to my daughter. She tells me that the pressure these kids have to get the stinking A. It is. Well, I always say, I want to know what you got as, in history as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Tell me everything you learned. Tell me about your test and tell me every grade you got. Yeah. Because I don't think most people, I said that to someone, they're like, well, I was a history major. I said, that was okay, me. Don't. I was a history major. Just full <laughs> okay. disclosure, my yeah. bachelor's is in history. <laughs> and physics. Right? So let's not talk about my calculus grades, okay? Let's not go there. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I just always tell her, I would like to meet the parent who got every test right, yeah. who did everything right, who treated every child right, who who never once faltered in their life, that person doesn't exist. Yeah. So we need to understand that as a parent, the more pressure we put on our kids, the less they're going to be willing to take those chances. Yes. Because failure means mom or dad are coming down on me. Yeah. It means they're going to tell me why I suck, excuse my language, yeah. but why I'm no good in life. Yeah. And those are the words that whether it's something small doesn't seem big to you when it's you're six, when you're seven, when you're eight, it's huge. Right. And when you're 30, you're still living out that, no, see, I'm just proving mom, dad are right. I am no good. Yeah. You are constantly finding things to verify, to, to say you're no good. And And I think I've read there's kind of a seven to one ratio where you have to say seven good things to a person (laughs) um, in order to counteract one negative thing that you say to a person. I don't know if that's scientific or statistical, but I've heard that before. But thinking back on my own childhood and my own adulthood, I remember the negative things that my boss has said about me far more then I remember the positive times that I heard good job. I remember growing up, the negative things that my family would say about me far more than I do the the positive, even though I'm sure there were more positive than there were negative, but those negative things stick to us. And to your point as a child, that's when we kind of start to see ourselves the way that others see us. And you and I talked about talking back to our inner child, talking backwards. So when we're kind of doing that and working on our own progress and overcoming those those fears and those those false beliefs that have been imprinted upon us, how do we overcome that? It's a huge it's it, it is it is a journey, trust me. Yeah. I have been on this journey for a good 15 years of yeah. really understanding it and still uncovering 
oh my gosh, this is why I believe these things. Yeah. And those moments. So first of all, as parents, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect parents. I've never like, I'm not going to sit here and say, I've always done it right with my children. I haven't. Right. And they can tell you that, right? <laughs> we're, we're human beings. So first of all, again, self-love, understand that perfection is, is not, it's, it's not attainable. It's not attainable. It really is not yeah. in anything. Um, but I think it's really just starting with the small steps, mm-hmm. start understanding, start really not, um, not being negative with yourself, but understanding why you have certain triggers. Where, where did that trigger initiate from? Why does it upset you? Um, when X, Y, Z happens, yeah, right? Yeah. Because this really is not that, that big a deal. So if you kind of just start analyzing yourself, which is what I did, mm-hmm. um, and started taking those small steps to, to understand it, because I think when we have an understanding of why we're wired the way we're wired, it get, it takes away the power yeah. of those moments. It takes away the power of whether you had a father or a you know, mother, a parent who was not supportive if you really confront it and go, you know what? I was a little kid. Yeah. I, I was six years old. Yeah. What possibly could I be doing wrong at six years old that could make my parent dislike me so much? Right. You start taking the power away from that thing that hurt you and put it back where it belongs and it's the person. It was their problem, right? right? If somebody brought those negative words into your head, that was on them. It's It wasn't about you. And it's a really hard thing to do but it's something you have to keep reminding yourself that those voices in your head, if they're coming from a teacher, a parent, a, a brother, a bully, whatever, that's theirs. Give it back to them. Yeah. So once you start identifying it, hand it back. And I think it's hard because very often, especially when we're talking about a parent or you know somebody that was really close to us, you don't want to blame them. Um, and so I think our natural tendency is to blame ourselves for it until we start to, to your point, see ourselves as that younger child, see ourselves as that six-year-old and say, as a six-year-old, what could I have possibly done to deserve to be treated like that? You know, and this is a small example. This isn't about bad treatment, but my ex-husband, um, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this. Whenever we would go anywhere, if we were not early in his mind, we were late and it caused very very heated arguments because you know i'd be getting the baby ready and getting myself ready and if you know we're running behind he would yell and scream and get so angry that we were going to be late and one day i said what what is your problem (laughs) you know why do you care if we're five minutes late it's no big deal we don't have to be early everywhere we go and he said that growing up they were late everywhere Everywhere they went, they were late. And he was always embarrassed because he was always the last one there. And he didn't want to be that way. And I told him, you're not that way. You're not that way. But you can't let those fears interfere with your behavior and your relationships now. And I know, and I've talked about this on the show quite a bit, I'm an adult child of alcoholics. And one of the things, you know, there's a a fantastic book called Adult Children of Alcoholics, actually, that talks about two directions that are very common for children of alcoholics to go. One is to follow in their footsteps and also become alcoholics, drug users, that kind of thing. The other is to become highly successful, highly educated, highly in control. And that is in an attempt to 
control things because growing up their life was not in control and so for me i think that will be a lifelong journey of unlearning the need to control the uncontrollable and accept that hey in life some things are not controllable and that's okay it doesn't mean there's chaos and so those are really really hard lessons and to your point i don't think that even if we can intellectualize them and understand them to internalize it and to really learn to live that and truly and authentically believe it is breaking years and years and patterns and generational patterns often of beliefs. So and remember that because if, if you've been living that way for 20 years, 30 years, yeah. don't criticize yourself because that's where we go. We right. criticize ourselves that in two weeks of some therapy or I read this book, why can't I let it go? You can't. You can't. You, you can't. But understanding it and taking away some of the power, it, it fades. It starts to it starts to lose the power. It starts to fade. So when we talk about, you know, unlearning our fears, what are some tangible steps that, you know, you and I and our listeners can take to work on becoming more brave? Because I think bravery is how we overcome fear. Absolutely. So this is this is um a fun question. And I actually learned this game from um, a woman that I met at a trade show mm -hmm. and um, loved it. So I would say, go out there and say yes to everything. Ooh, Because we tend to say no, we tend to make excuses. We tend to, you know, oh, it's laid out. It's tired. I'm tired. I'm, yeah. you know, oh, I have nothing to wear. It's very easy for us to stay in our routine. Yes. And the quickest way to get out of our routine and put ourselves in new situations is basically saying yes. So I'm not saying yes to go out and you don't have to jump out of a plane today, right? I did That's, that just so you know, that was one of my, it? I did, I made myself do it because I am one of those people who know I'm only going to do the safe things. I'm only going to do the right things. If I go out, I'm going to have two drinks. That's it. I'm not going to be one of those crazy people. And then one day I decided I'm going to jump out of an airplane. And I, I did it and then I did it again. And now I'm working my way up to being one of those solo jumpers. I will <laughs> not commit that I will jump out of a plane without somebody tandem, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, you know, you might not want to go so extreme. <laughs> yeah. I, the thought of it gives me heart palpitations, honestly. I love it though, but, but you know, we walk if somebody that they're, you've wanted to get to know better and they say, hey, let's go for a walk, say yes and commit to an actual date. Just don't just don't go, oh, that would be great because we do that and then we never actually do yes. it. Say yes and go take out your phone. We all have our calendars on us all the time and set an actual date. Go try dinner at a new restaurant, you know? Oh, I don't know about Indian food. Go to an Indian restaurant. I mean, it's so crazy that you said that because I recently <laughs> ate Indian food for the first time too, and I'm not. It just what a coincidence. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm very tapped into your intuition. I, I feel like that. Yeah. Everything, but but it's it's doing these little things that then you start doing bigger things, or you start recognizing, okay, that's not that big a deal. Yeah. So I, you know, in in my life, I said, okay, I want to create my own animated video. Yeah. Well, that in itself seemed really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But then I broke it down to tiny steps and went, okay, I need someone to do the drawings. Okay, 
let me find that person, right? You you can break anything down into tiny manageable steps. I don't, yes. At that point, I still didn't know what it took to create an animated video. Right. But I knew how to find somebody who could do the drawings, yes. right? So I think we just take those big fears we have and we break them down into something that goes, well, I can do that piece. Yeah. And then we do the next piece. Yeah. So it's all about, again, taking the, the power away from this big fear and realizing that everything is just tiny, you know, it's not going to kill you. I love that. Taking the power away from the fear. I'm thinking about that because when we don't do something that we want or we could or that would make us better versions of ourselves, we are giving fear power. And so we're saying, you're saying, let's take that back. I love yes. that. Yeah, I love that. Take, in all these cases, take the power away from the people who hurt you. Take the power away from the fear. You stay in control. Yes. Right? Yes. Of, of yourself, not and of the for world me, around you necessarily. For me, this show was the, that. Yeah. Right? Yes. So I, I love that. I love, that, love, love that. So do you think our fear ever serves a purpose for us that's good? Because oh. we've talked about, let's let's take the power away from the fear. Is fear ever a good thing? Aside from the obvious, like don't walk in the street in front of a right. car, you know, aside <laughs> from those things. In my opinion, 100% yes. Yes. Because, okay. um, you know, you think about riding a bike. Mm -hmm. And if you and I went out as a, on a bike ride today, assuming you can ride, you know, yeah. that you've ridden a bike in your life. Mm-hmm. We don't get off the bike and everyone's not on the street clapping and cheering for us. We went out on a bike ride. Yeah. If you're five years old and you go on a bike ride and nobody's touching you, not only will you have your parents there clapping and cheering, you might have the neighbors, right? You yeah. have a big old smile on your face because you did something. You accomplished. I'm doing this. I'm doing it, right? Yes. And that is facing a fear and overcoming the fear. Ah. And it's drive driven you. So if you just play it safe the rest of your life, you're never going to have that adrenaline rush of, oh my gosh, look what I did. Because that is, I'm going to tell you right now that that is the number one reason you go out and you seek your goals. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter how yeah. much money you make. It is that personal feeling of saying, I did it. I did it. I don't care what the rest of the world says. I did this. I can now say I jumped out of a plane. Yeah. Right. And which is funny because everybody's reaction to that. I was like, you did what? You know? Um, <laughs> but I think that that's interesting because I never thought of fear in terms of it's good because it gives us something to overcome. It gives us that mountain to climb. It gives us that plane to jump out of or whatever that risk is that we want to take. And if we didn't have risk and we all played it safe, would we have that same, to your point, adrenaline rush, that thrill, that that push to move forward, you know? And that feeling of pride. How would, you know, we wouldn't be talking right now on Zoom if there wasn't that somebody somewhere that said, you know, this can be done. Let's figure out how to do it. Yes. And yeah. they're going to fail, you know, however many times, but eventually they figured it out. So it's, it's that process of it, you're not going to get it right the first time. Right. You're not going to ride your bike right the first time. You're not going to, right? You you might take a while to build up to jumping out of that plane, to yeah. really getting yourself in that plane. But once you do it, it just then spurs you on to keep living life. And to me, that is what truly living this life is. It's getting back on your next bike. Yes. And trying it again. Yes. And otherwise, we are just going through the motions and waiting for the end. Like, what? what's the point? 
Right. And so we've talked about, we know kind of where the root of this fear comes from. It happens when we're young. And then as we grow into adulthood and we start to believe the things that the world tells us that we can and can't do, because to your point, the toddler who's learning how to walk falls down repeatedly until they figure it out. We get to the point where I think sometimes we think we're going to fall down or we know we're going to fall down. So we don't even try. Um, and we've talked about going back and talking to kind of that inner child and finding out where those beliefs started from stopping them, unlearning them and addressing them. And then last time you and I talked, I asked you, okay, so we've done all of this hard work. How do we go forward? And your answer was go with your gut. So the big question that I think I hear often is how do you know if it's your gut talking versus the world and all of the outside voices talking? How do we identify what that is? Well, I think initially it's hard because we are so so programmed to be thinking about the world and our place within the world. Yeah. Um, but I think when you really go with your gut, you get excited about it. Ah, it gives you passion. this little thrill. Passion. Wow, what would it be like to, a passion, right? Passion, yeah. Where when it's from the outside world, I think it feels more like pressure. Mm. It's, I should do, what will people think? Um, what will I get out of this? How much money will I make? You're, you're putting the worldly expectations of your goal on it instead of how much fun would this be? How much does it fill you up in a place of true excitement? Yes. Right? What's driving you? Where when it's outside, it's all about, well, this will look impressive. Or I think that's, I think that's the difference. And I truly believe when you go with your gut, you can be successful. Yeah. At the things that most people in the world will say, there's no way you're going to be a success doing that. Yeah. People are successful doing things we would never have imagined, (laughs) never have imagined, you know? And I think, I hope the listeners hear this because that was what you just said. You didn't share with me the first time we talked and it's something I'm going to make a practice for myself asking, does this feel like passion or pressure? Passion or pressure. And one of the things that, you know, I love, and I say this all the time about my career is I, I wake up and I go to work every day and I love it. I love it. And I tell my employees quite frequently, if you don't love this industry and you don't love this job, it's a high pressure environment. You will not do well. So I love it. But I think about some of the other things that I feel pressure about. And some of them are basic. For example, having the perfect house. That feels like pressure to me. And very often I find myself not enjoying my home. And I've learned to, you know what? I don't have to mop the floor three times a week. It's okay. The world's not going to end. You know, just things like that. But then to your point, a career or a hobby or you sign up for something only to realize you don't like it. And so you forced yourself because you committed, um, you know, to continue doing this thing. But you, if, if it feels like pressure, it's not passion. And I really, really think that is powerful. And I hope the listeners hear that and learn from it. So how do we start to listen to our passion? Um, also an interesting question. And I'm not sure there's a straight answer for everyone. I think we both have different senses of knowing. Sometimes it's just, I don't know why I know. I just know. Yeah. Sometimes we hear a little voice in our head. Sometimes we just feel led to go in a certain way. Um, I think it's it's definitely different for everyone. But 
to start really paying attention to it. Have you ever gone on an outing or somewhere and you're like, I should really bring an umbrella. You know what? It is not going to rain. I do not need to bring this. This is just extra, right? You just kind of ignore it. Whatever it is, right? You ignore it. And then you get there and two hours later, it starts raining. I knew I should have done that. Yes. (laughs) How many times do we say, I knew it. I told myself to do this. I told myself I should have grabbed this. Yeah. We all do it. And I've learned whenever I stop as I'm prepping to do something and it flashes through my head, you're going to want X, Y, Z, grab it. Don't question it. Mm -hmm. Just take it. And then you go, look it. I, right. And I think just those little practices of listening to that voice for small things Mm -hmm. and, and then seeing, Hey, I was right. Because then you'll get the confirmation later that you needed that, that you're glad that you grabbed whatever it was, or, you know, then you start paying attention to the bigger things. Yeah. You start following, you start trusting yourself because again, it becomes down, it comes down to self-love and really learning how to trust ourselves. I think it also comes down to the idea of seizing that opportunity in that intuitive moment in the moment. Have you read the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? I have. Have you? Okay. So for the listeners who haven't heard it, who haven't read the book, um, it is an interesting book about the study of um, being creative. And in the book, Elizabeth, the author, she talks about having ideas that kind of float around in space. And she alludes to the idea that have you ever watched, you know, one of those made for TV commercials and you see this fantastic idea and you tell yourself, I had that idea. Why didn't I invent that? Or I could have invented that. And so the premise of this book is that there are these ideas kind of floating around in space, if you will. And if you don't grab them when they come to you and you don't seize that moment and seize that opportunity, then it goes back to the universe and somebody else grabs it. And so that was a really powerful message for me. And I think that what you just said is very similar in line with that. When you have that intuitive moment, when you have that idea, when you have that passion and you as an inventor exemplify this, I am going to create something. And if I have this fantastic idea, I'm going to create it for the love of creating. And yes. then I think it's funny how that leads us to incredible success, despite what the world tells us that will look like and what that will be like. Because when you have passion for something, other people will too. And there's a place for it too. And I think that um, that idea of grab the umbrella when you have that that intuitive moment. Seize that idea when it comes to you. Because if you don't, it will pass. And then you're looking back on, you know, your coulda, woulda, shouldas. And instead of moving forward and saying, hey, you know, I, I seized that opportunity in that moment. And really being proud of yourself for following your gut and your intuition. And, and I will say, when I started out initially creating a toy, I had I, I never worked in the industry. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. But I remember looking at my baby girl. She was just a newborn and having her say to me, mommy, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah. And it broke my heart at the idea of saying to her, well, I always wanted to be in the kids industry. Well, why didn't you? Yeah. I never wanted her to say, why didn't you? Because that means that she's not going to either. Yeah, you gave her permission not to, yeah. I I gave her permission to not follow her own dreams. Yes. 
that to me was more powerful than me following my my dreams, which is a funny thing. But as yeah. a parent, I think everybody can understand for this. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I set out thinking, all right, you know what? I don't think I can do this. Yeah. But um, I'm going to show her that you do it and you fail and it's okay. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't die. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think when we just kind of follow all of those feelings and I didn't fail. I ended up, you know, becoming, it it was a great success out of it. Yeah. But I think when we just jump, it's, if we fail, we fail. Yes. But that idea to me as a creative person, I loved that, that visual that I got from the book. Yes. Because it almost gave me the sense of anxiety of, I don't want my dreams. I don't want to see my dreams show up in someone else's life. Yes. I want them to show up in my life. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I think too, you know, there's that cliche, um, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take that kind of thing. And if you're passionate about something, success may or may not follow. I think more often than not, it does, but success is following that passion. That is where the success is. Um, And so I think that that's a a really strong message for listeners to hear as well. And to your point, being a parent does bring that to the forefront because I have children, I have a daughter, and a lot of the decisions that I make and the risks that I take are because I hope with my whole heart that when she grows up, she will have the courage to do the same. And I see her and all of her potential and all of her charisma and personalities and her strengths and her weaknesses as this whole person. And I do my best to see myself that way too, because if I can, then I can teach her to see herself that yes. way. And I think that as, as women, not only with our children, but with each other, we have the opportunity to recognize that greatness in one another. Um, so how do you think we as women in the world work on doing what we really want to do and becoming who we really want to be? rather than what the world expects us to be. And how can we work together to do that? Well, I, this might this might be an unpopular um, answer to some women, mm-hmm. but I, I was brought up, I had a single mom back in the 70s, so that was not a common thing. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to design store windows, could not get hired anywhere, so she opened her own store just so she could design windows. Oh, look at her. Yeah. And so... This sounds very familiar. This sounds like your story. <laughs> yeah. if, if someone doesn't say yes, then you figure out a way to do it yourself. Yes, right? definitely, yes. I, I'm definitely following her footsteps in that sense. And she, um, I, I couldn't complain to her about anything. Yeah. She would say, if you're not happy, who's keeping, you have the power to change it. Who's yeah. keeping you where you are? Good job, like, mama. Good job. It's your, cho- it's your choice. Unless it's your health, that's the only thing that could be out of your control. Yeah. But every relationship, every job, every situation, every city you live in, you can figure out a way to change it. Yeah. So she she did not want to hear those types of, like, obviously she was a very loving mom, but at the same time gave me that kick of stop, again, stop giving away your power. Yeah. You're unhappy. Do something about it. Figure it out, yeah. right? Yeah. And so... I would answer this question and ask, who's who has written what women, the expectations of women are? Like, where is that written in the world? Yeah, our expectations are our own to make. Mm-hmm. So, if we're going to hand that power to some uh, mystery person out there 
who thinks that we're not capable because we're a woman, yeah. then again, we're giving our power away. Yeah. You know, if there is a man who is, you know, you're always going to find men who are, who are not going to treat you with respect. Right. Don't work with them. Right. You're not, you know, so what? That he's just given, saved you time that that's not the person you want to work with. Right. And on the flip side of that, if there is a woman you don't want to work with, don't yes. work with her. And, and if I've you're done in a, that too. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're in a situation, because I have been, and I will say at this point, it's really interesting. 50% of my listeners are men, um, which I find really, really interesting. Um, but some of my biggest supporters in my own career have been men. And very often when I think that there's a male versus female dynamic, I realize I'm the one imposing that belief. It's not, you know, when I first wanted to go into management, for example, I thought, well, it's because I'm young. It's because I'm female. It's because, you know, I had all of these reasons. The truth was I wasn't ready at the time. It had nothing to do with those factors. And once I accepted that and learned and moved forward and continued to grow and become um, more professionally mature, then I was able to move into those roles and it was men who supported me moving into those roles. And so I think as women, we should support one another, but we should also recognize the men who, you know, help us and who empower us and who believe in us because very often we see that. I mean, half of the world is men. And so this is for sure not a men bashing show because I appreciate not only the male listeners, but some of my biggest supporters have always been men. And I think that, if we all work together and support one another for the, the individual value that we bring to the table, that's where the power is. Well, that's why I was saying this might not be a popular answer because yeah, I, I don't believe in that idea of, you know, peop- I remember someone asking me on an interview, you're in the toy industry and it's a very, very male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so? Right, yeah. <laughs> and that To me, it's it's a, the person. Yeah. And, I don't, I don't care if you're a male, you, female, trans, whatever, however you want to live your life, good for you. Yeah. If you're a good person and supportive, I want to work with you. Yes. If you're not, I don't want to work with you. Right. And again, you go back to people who are happy with their lives are going to reach out and help other people. They're going to be supportive. So surround yourself with those people, but don't, this idea of us versus them or this division, I'm really, I mean, this country has just gone way too far with division. I agree. I personally had it. It's horrifying. It's actually horrifying. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I, I hope it gets better. And I think that the way that it gets better is on the individual level at the small micro level of you and I, not you and I, but just me and another person are very, very different. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences. Let's talk about it. Share with me your worldview. Let me share with you mine. And maybe both of us will change just a little bit enough to come together. And I think that if we continue to do that, then, or if we start to do that, I won't even say continue to do that because at this point, if if you watch the news or social media, it doesn't feel like we're doing that at all half the time. Um, But I hope that we can come together and realize, especially in the United States right now, every damn thing isn't political it's not everything isn't about politics some things are about humanity and people's well-being and those are not political topics those are what's good for everybody um and i I think when we start listening and recognizing that every person we meet has a story yeah right we've heard that before yeah if we listen listen to the story there's a reason that they believe these things and some of them are their fault some of them they're not but 
yes, if you open conversations without judgment, yeah, the, uh, the negativity we all need to just let go of. Yeah, um, and accept we're different. It's this okay. is this is a little bit off topic, but you know, I just recently read a book called Cast. Um, you said you were on Oprah. It was actually one of Oprah's book club selections. And for anybody who's listening to it, um, it is a phenomenal book that walks you through. It does. It draws parallels between um, the Indian caste system and the American social division and how those two run parallel with one another. And um, it's certainly got a little bit of bias in it, but I think that it's a really good historical um, look at how we have gotten to this place of such division. So this is not a, a political show, but that came to my mind. And I think it's a great book for anybody who wants to have that historical understanding. So, yeah. All right. Um, what is the big idea that you want to leave listeners with? So I would like to do both a big idea and a challenge if I Oh, may. I love it. Yes. Because <laughs> I like to live outside the box. Yes. Let's do it. Um, I guess, I guess the big message and the big idea that I would like people to walk away with is baby steps. Baby steps. You're not gonna, you're not gonna run your marathon your first day out, but go for a walk. Yes. And then jog for a minute or whatever, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, whether it's your career, your personal life, your health, your, your eating habit, you know, anything. Don't expect to be perfect tomorrow, and don't expect to know everything tomorrow. But yeah. just every day, take a tiny step towards whatever your goal is really think about it map it out but but we can accomplish anything and we can create the life we want we just have to walk towards it sitting yes. and complaining about it is never going to get us there yeah as my mom said they're not going to come knocking on your door right to, you know, people are going to change it so you have to go out, out there and there, get it go out there and get it it's yeah. there for the taking yes. and we can all do it we can all be living a good life. There's not just enough for a certain group of people. That's yes. my There's definitely opinion. there's definitely enough out there for everybody. There's enough for out sure. there. And my challenge for the next month. Oh, I'm excited like about this. What is this? What is this? I want to challenge all your listeners okay. to say yes to everything for 30 days. Say yes to everything for 30 days. For 30 days, say yes to everything that's obviously legal and not going to be. Okay, I was about to say I was coming with up with all of these things I could be asked to do that I don't want. Yes. Yes. If but, you're going to get arrested doing it, if it's going to harm another person, obviously no. But, yes. But go out and whatever it is, if it's, I mean, we started doing this and It'd be silly where you'd be in a restaurant and the waiter would go, would you like dessert? Yes. Right. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes. Yes to, to all of it. So yes. everything down to the, if your kids want to have a camp out in the family room, don't worry about the mess. Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Okay, I, I don't know if I should tell my kids about this challenge because there is a new movie out there called Yes Day, and they yes. ended up driving through a car wash with the windows rolled down. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie yet, um, but it's but this, it's that premise, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, don't don't tell the people in your life because they might take advantage of you. Yes, I can but, think of a few things though. Like for example, my daughter always says, "Can I do your hair and makeup?" And I always say, "No, leave me alone." So maybe this weekend I will say, "You know what? Let's do it. Let's yes, let's do it." Yes. What's going to happen? I just sent my first off to college as well. Yeah. And I, when they were little, we had uh, American Girl doll heaven. <gasps> I'm going like, to have to send you when this is over a picture of my daughter's American girl collection. We are going to New York in December so she can go to the American girl doll store there oh, yeah. because they closed Thanks. the one here in Denver. It's a problem. Oh, <laughs> so I loved it. I think more than they did. I still want to be buying the stuff as yeah. a toy person, but they had one of their kit 
I don't know why it was Kit, but she was homeless and she lived in- Kate Kitteridge. Yes, she was homeless and lived in front of my bedroom door for about six years in a tent. Okay. And I just let her live there because I told myself someday I'm going to be sad that Kit's not living outside my door. And I will tell you now with my oldest off to college, I'm like, I just want one more day where Kit lives in front of my door. (laughs) Because those are the moments, you know, your daughter doing your hair. Yes. Doing your makeup. Those are the moments that that are really not that big a deal to us, but it's really important to the relationship and to the memories for both of you. Yeah, but you know what? I think they really are a big deal for us because I look back on, you know, my my 18-year-old, for example, and then I've got, like I said, a 13-year-old, and I've got pictures from five years ago when they were building forts. And I said, you guys don't build a fort. You're going to make a mess. And they, they didn't listen to me, and they built a fort anyway. And I have these pictures of them in this fort together. And my mama heart was soaring because... I know those are the things they're going to remember, but we surprise ourselves that those are the things we remember too. And when we look back on their childhood, I will always have this memory of them under this messy fort made out of three different sheets and couch cushions and everything. And you know, my, um, six-year-old, he loves to jump in puddles. And one thing that I promised myself I would never do is I will never tell my child they can't jump in a rain puddle. Because if I'm perfectly honest, as an adult, I like to jump in rain puddles too. (laughs) And so I know that my kids, it's so funny whenever there's a rain puddle on the ground, they're like, mommy, you want to jump in it? Heck yeah, I do. Let's go. (laughs) So if you ever see me in front of a grocery store running and jumping this grown woman with her little kid into a puddle, That's why, because I hope they remember me as the mom that held their hand and said, it's okay if our feet get wet. It's okay to get muddy. It's okay to get dirty. We're going to live today. Well, that's exactly what I think doing this. It it takes away all these, I have to have the perfect house or I have to, you know, I have this schedule and we just start living. And especially whether it's in our relationship, we stop, you know, my husband and I, when we kind of were very cognitive about uh, about how we wanted our relationship to look five years down the road. Yeah. And so we made a deal. We're not stopping dating. If you don't do it in the first three months, then you don't do it. Okay. If if if, if you take an hour to get ready for a date, date in the first three months, then take an hour to get ready for your date five years down the line. Oh, I love that rule. And and he will let me get ready, and then he if we're in a in a hotel, he'll sit down at the bar, and I'll come in like we're meeting for a date, or like you have to give that attention, I think, to all of your relationships. Yes, stop just having it be automatic. And, and I think about when our kids were first born, how much attention we gave to them as newborns, and then we so- slowly taper off. Or when we first started a new job, how committed we were to that career, and we were early every day, and we brought our best version of ourselves, and then it slowly wanes. And so what if we brought that same level of intensity, the first three months, I love that rule, to everything that we do? To everything we do. The first yeah. three months in a new home. The first three months in a new city. Right. I mean, I'm thinking I'm feeling a little convicted now about my car and not keeping it clean because, you know, the first three months you keep it clean. It's and, and it's become right? a source of stress for me because I don't anymore. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I love that. The first three months rule. Okay. Yeah. So. All there, right. There are your challenges. Those are the challenges, the first three months, and the yes. That's the and big the yes. challenge. Say Get out there and start living. Yes. 
Love it. Say yes. Love it. Okay, so tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Okay, um, so I am on social media as Gwen Austin, Gwen Austin Studios. Um, I have started a women's group called Entrepreneur Women. On Facebook, it's Entrepreneur Women Unified. It's a group there. Okay. And it's 100% supportive women. And if you're not supportive, you get kicked out. Okay. So if you're coming to cause some friction, I don't allow it. Got we can it. have real conversations, but everyone has to be respectful. Got it. Um, so I don't, it's not about policing the conversation. It's about respect. Um, and off of that, I've now have a membership group for entrepreneur women called Entrepreneur Women University. Wonderful. So these are all the places you can find me, but me directly, it's Gwen Austin Studios. Okay. And that's G-W-E-N-A-U-S-T-I-N. Correct. Correct. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, really, really appreciate it. I think this was a great conversation and we covered so many different things from fear to taking risks to even some of the crazy political situations in the world right now. (laughs) (laughs) So great conversation and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the So She Did podcast. For more information, to be on the show, or to work directly with Kristen, please visit www.soshedidempire.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends on social media and leave a positive review. We would love to hear from you. 